Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Coomer, March sadness is upon us. It's uncertain times. It's certainly something that we've never dealt with before in the history of either of our lives, past lives of our grandfathers and forefathers. Uh, the NCAA tournament has been canceled. However, just remember, our audience, I want you to remember that you are not from Norwood. You are from the University of Cincinnati, and it is always a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Well said. Uncertain times indeed. Both of us record this podcast from self-imposed self-isolation with our lovely families. I got to be honest, Hummer. We should have had your wife on weeks ago. We should have had her on the podcast weeks ago because she, she told us. us. She <laughs> told us in side conversations the NCAA tournament would not happen. We, we tried to reject it. We tried to push back with our own arguments as to why that's just not the case. Little did we know, Dr. Hummer herself, well ahead of the curve on this one, unfortunately. Um, Hummer, interesting times. The Bearcats had their last game of the season. We were at the Bearcats' final game of the season, and I certainly did not expect that at that time. The American Athletic Conference canceled their tournament. Every other conference ended up canceling their tournaments. Some of them actually did get started. Um, and then eventually the NCAA tournament as well. The Cincinnati Bearcats basketball season is officially over. Well, I think I, when we, the first time we actually brought it up as a realistic possibility is when the Division Three came out and said that, I think they started off with no fans, but then immediately corrected it that they were going to flat out cancel it. And I think I texted you and I said, uh-oh. This isn't this isn't good. You know, if they're moving it from that that far down to a tournament already being played without fans. <laughs> right. And and especially once we heard whispers of the NBA considering not only playing without fans, but that they were talking about actually suspending them or canceling their season. Um, that's when it felt real. You know, that's when it felt like, oh, this this NCAA tournament's not gonna happen because you can remove the fans from the stadium, but at the end of the day, if any of these players contract COVID-19, they're, they're just not going to be able to play anymore. You have to put the entire team in quarantine. You have to put the team they were playing in quarantine, and it just snowballs from there. And it would not have been responsible of the NCAA to send these players across the country. I mean, literally across the entire country to play basketball games. Well, that's that's the thing. You're, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head right there because when you're talking about basketball players and the NBA in particular, I'll focus on them for a second. You know, you're going from Boston to Philly, you're going from Philly to LA, you're going to all these different places. For instance, Utah jazz. This is how this all, this all really got, got going, but they're going to other cities and bringing that virus with them on a higher frequency basis than say an average fan like you or myself, you know, that that's, that's the reality. And same thing with the NCAA tournament, one of the big fears would be is that you have one team that happens to be infected who's going from, say, the Midwest to go play in Texas, and they're bringing it with them to Texas and spreading it to a large base of people. So I think it's responsible that we 
And I don't even want to say it. it's responsible that they cancel the tournament. It's unfortunate because I have been bored out of my mind. I feel like a guy who got his ball snipped in anticipation <laughs> of the NCAA tournament. But instead, I have to watch reruns of movies on the Hallmark Channel because there is literally nothing else to do. All sports are canceled. What a time to be alive. You know, you mentioned... Uh, uh, how do I even move forward with thinking about your balls being snipped? I will say, Hummer, the NCAA, if they had kept playing the tournament, they could have kind of gone through a war of attrition where whichever team can last the longest without getting corona, they get to be the eventual NCAA champion. It would have been the biggest asterisk on an NCAA championship since the year 2000 when, when Michigan State uh, was graced with such an asterisk themselves. But... Ultimately, it was the right call. It's a tough call. It It is interesting to have no sports on television, and interesting is probably the wrong word. It sucks, all right? There's there's what you would typically get in these rhythms. I want to watch basketball. I plan on watching basketball. My body is calibrated so that every year, come March, I'm at my peak condition for staying up at all nights of the hour, watching basketball from 12 noon to midnight, 12 hours a day. We don't get to do it this year. What we're going to fit in its place, books, you know, I guess we'll start reading some books, Hummer. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's an abrupt ending to a weird, wild season for the Cincinnati Bearcats. The only silver lining to take away from this, because of the tiebreaker that the Bearcats won over Houston and Tulsa, we, we were the one seed heading into the American Athletic Conference tournament. And with the conference tournament being canceled prior to the NCAA tournament being canceled, we officially qualified for our 10th consecutive tournament appearance. However, we will not be making that 10th tournament appearance because uh, this is a crisis. Uh, it's it's a crisis and. You know, but there's some other stuff. Like we were talking about how unprecedented this is. Tom Izzo, you know, was bringing up because we're not playing the tournaments, and we'll get into the just before everybody thinks we're skipping over this part. We're going to get into like kind of the what ifs when we start talking about the the season. Because I am disappointed that we did not get to see John Brannon play and potentially win our third straight American Athletic Conference championship. I'm upset that we didn't get to see if we were going to earn ourselves a real bid. Uh, you know, in my sense, we're just we're being given it, but it wasn't earned. And, you know, so I am upset that we didn't get to see that stuff. But Tom Mizzo brings up something very interesting. And he, he is in support in favor of giving current seniors an additional year of eligibility. Now, before I give my take on this, because I think my take is going to be highly unpopular. Coomer, what do you what do you feel about that? I, I get where he's coming from. You know, it's disappointing. There's a lot of shock and there's just a lot of uh, grieving going on right now with respect to the NCAA tournament being canceled. And I think that goes for fans, goes for administrators, players, and also coaches. You know, Tom Izzo's got a player on his team, Cassius Winston, who he, who he loves dearly, who's been a beloved player for the entire Michigan State community. And his senior year will not include a Big Ten tournament and it will not include an NCAA tournament. And so he's he's grasping for a way to give Cassius Winston and seniors like him the opportunity to have that senior moment in, in the NCAA tournament. But I got to be honest, I don't think 
bringing back or giving these seniors an opportunity to come back is the right move. I, I, I understand the, the sentiment. I understand wanting to make up for what is kind of, you know, one of the most unusual pandemics of our time. Um, however, look, they played an entire season and there's a new crop of talent coming in next year. This is the circle of life of college basketball. And unfortunately, the 2019-2020 season is not going to have that, you know, cherry on top. It's not going to have the the championship team. It's unusual. It's certainly unprecedented, but I don't think you bring the seniors back. I agree. I mean, in, I mean let's face it. This season does have a champion. Looking at the brackets that were thrown out there, Cincinnati is very clearly going all the way this year. We were going to take this championship to the house. We were going to ruin Dayton's fairy tale season. But, you know, I don't agree with giving the seniors an, an additional year at all because there are juniors that are waiting for their moment to shine. And by them being seniors the next year, they're not going to have that year where it's it's their year, you know. And, and that might be an unpopular take because, well, these seniors didn't get their year. Yeah, they did. They had a whole season of being the man on campus. You know, I love Trey Scott, as everybody knows on this podcast, one of my all-time favorite Bearcats. Trey Scott had the opportunity to shine this year, and the shine he did. You know, so I don't think that's fair to say, Trey, here you go. You didn't make the NCAA tournament. Come back another year. Jaron Cumberland, if you want, come back another year and say, Keith Williams, I'm so sorry. You have to continue to play behind Jaron Cumberland. Next year is Keith Williams' year to shine, and I want to see him be able to get out there and do it. That's so well put. The The fact is that most players don't need the NCAA tournament to cement their legacies at a university. Trey Scott submitted his le- cemented his legacy at the University of Cincinnati with this play throughout the entire season. He's the defensive player of the year in the American Athletic Conference. He's the most improved player of the year in the American Athletic Conference. He's the sport he's I think the sportsmanship player of the year in the American Athletic Conference. Bearcat fans are going to remember him forever. They'll remember the season forever. His double is double double. Incredible double, season. Double double double. <laughs> he doesn't need his a a a, a senior plus season to cement that legacy and nor does, nor does any other senior. So tough call. I'm extremely disappointed, disappointed for all those guys, Jaron, Trey, Chris McNeil, Javen. You wanted them to have the opportunity to make a special run in the tournament. Unfortunately, it's not going to, that's not going to be the case. That wasn't in the cards, uh, but it doesn't make this season any less memorable. And I certainly, uh, you know, I'll speak for Bearcat nation. I'll do it. We are so appreciative and, and, will remember this season extremely fondly because of the leadership that Trey Scott showed, the grittiness Jaron Cumberland showed in battling through injuries all season, and the fact that Chris McNeil, Javen, um, those guys were able to come in and make an impact in, their fir- in the one season they had with the Bearcats. We'll appreciate that. Now, one thing that this, this COVID-19 crisis has got me thinking about is the status of college basketball as a whole in – how how opportunistic sometimes the NCAA can be to never let a good crisis go to waste, to quote, to quote the great Dan Carlin. <laughs> uh, over the weekend, the biggest news shifted 
in college basketball from the tournament being canceled to one man taking over all the headlines. He has snuck his way back into college basketball. Mr. Rick Pitino is going to bring a national championship to Iona. Let's 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 rewind and say why Rick Pitino should not be in college basketball. It's the same reason that Kansas needs to be handed down some punishment. The same reason that Arizona needs to be handed by punishment. The guy had officials at Adidas bribe players to attend the University of Louisville. He hired escorts to attend or to be arm candy for recruits while on campus. This man is a habitual rule breaker. They are not. He is just using this crisis to say, hey, guys, I'm not as bad as COVID-19. Let me in. I do not agree that with him being allowed back into the basketball landscape. His list of transgressions takes longer to list off. I would say it takes longer to list that off than it does certain dinner activities for Rick Pitino. <laughs> I honestly, it just amazes me that college basketball is like in this state to where we still have not resolved the issues from an FBI investigation into three of the biggest schools in college basketball. And, but now it's all probably definitely going away after this because of COVID-19 and it's headline headline stealing uh, spotlight here. But uh, you know what? I'm sick of talking about COVID-19 enough, right? It's enough. This is the time where we are going to, speculate, postulate. We are going to look at the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Lenardi's mock bracket. And we're going to talk about why we win. Nice transition, Hum. We do need to do some bracket speculation. We're not going to let COVID-19 stop us now. I was hoping that we were going to get to do this off of a real bracket. I thought the committee might put together a real bracket for the players and the teams so that they could have some sort of resolution to their season. You know, our, our actual uh, friend of the podcast, Matt Norlander, wrote a whole article about this. Maybe it's not ruled out. It could still come. In the meantime, let's use Joe Lenardi. He NCAA had us... Has said they're not going to do it. Oh, they did? They officially Pretty, announced it? I don't know if they, they kind of officially announced it, but it's it's not in the plans. Disappointing. But we'll carry on with Joe Lenardi, who's got a great history of being accurate. And uh, it's about as official as we can get in this case. Joe Lenardi saw the Bearcats matched up as an 11 seed against six seed Virginia. What are your thoughts? (laughs) No brainer. (laughs) I will say that would be a fairly ideal break for the Bearcats in the real world. You know, Ken Palm shows Virginia as the number 42 team in the country. Bearcats are only two spots lower at 44. And we know Virginia is definitely one of the most prolific defensive teams in the country year in, year out. This year is no different. They're the number one defensive efficiency team in the country. However, the Bearcats do a fairly good job against top-level defensive teams scoring points. We've done it against Memphis. We've done it against Temple. We've done it against Wichita State. The problem with the Bearcats is sometimes on the on on defense. And against Virginia, you're not guarding a prolific offensive team. This is one of the, the bottom third teams in the country uh, on offense. It's not an explosive team. It's a team that's ripe for an NCAA March Madness upset. 
Yeah, and this is a game where I would definitely expect somehow the Bearcats to go down 10. But when that happens, I'm not worried because that's when when we that's when we win basketball games is when we are down 10. You know, right around that halfway mark, you know, going into the the, the first half of the second half. If we're down 10, we come back, we tie this game up, we go into overtime and we take down Virginia. That's how we move on. That happens. More speculation on the other side of this region. Uh, SF Austin takes down OSU in the first round. We're going to have Louisville taking down uh, Vermont, but then promptly losing to Stephen F. Austin as well. Baylor's going to wipe on through all the way through to Stephen F. Austin. We're going to have a great game, a double overtime game that sees the Baylor moving on to the Elite Eight. On our side of the bracket, we have Michigan State, Bradley. Don't anticipate, but wait a minute. We're playing in an empty gym. We're playing in an empty gym. Who knows what happens? Michigan State goes on. They're facing the Bearcats in that empty gym. The Bearcats... Who 20 years to- later, 20 years 20 after years the, later. the wrongful championship of Michigan State, this is our chance to finally get our revenge against the Spartans coming after keeping our coach. You tried. You could not conquer. You failed. And we're playing in an empty gym. Guess what? We play at ECU. All right? We play at Tulane. We play in empty gyms. We have the experience. We come out on top. We get revenge. We take down Michigan State in front of zero fans to advance ourselves to the Sweet 16. Huge moment in in UC Bearcat history. John Brannon, in his first season as coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats, advances to the Sweet 16. Incredible accomplishment. Something that the Bearcats have not been able to do frequently. John Brannon did it. Now, after that, we have Illinois playing USC. A 7-10 matchup. Very difficult to predict. New, uh, they got they got some Bearcat inspiration over there in Southern California with Mike Bone. On the back of his cheering, USC upsets the highly overrated Fighting Illini. Worst nickname ever for a team, the Fighting Illini. You know, every uh, big, the Big Ten this year had such an inflation from a ranking standpoint. They all beat up on each other, and it made everyone think that that conference was far and away the best in the country. I'm not so convinced. I like your pick of USC. They move on to play who? Great. Creighton's not going to lose the Little Rock. Absolutely not. see it. Even though I do think the Big East at times is also has that same overinflated uh, sense of hyper-goodness. That's right. So you're telling me that the Bearcats and the Sweet 16 are going to play the winner of Creighton and USC, and I'm supposed to be worried about our chances? Uh, am I? The Bearcats are going to the Elite Eight! We're in the Elite Eight. Doesn't matter who we play. USC, Creighton, get out of here. You both are you both are going down. So that moves us to Baylor. This is tough, Hummer. This is one of the e- easily one of the top four teams in the country. They did they did fall off a little bit toward the end of the season. But the one thing that concerns me about Baylor, they've got a lot of athletes. Bigs. They can test shot. Contest shots, they defend well. They're the exact type of team, you know, in the same mold of maybe a Houston. They, they, it's the kind of team that really 
kind of beat us and battered us all season, gave us problems on the defensive boards. Can we do it against Baylor? Is this when the magic ends? You know, I'm looking at Baylor's end of the season. All right, you take a loss to Kansas. Not going to fault you for that. You're going to take a loss to TCU. I am going to fault you for that. Then you're going to come in and you're going to take a loss to West Virginia, who once again, top 10. You know, I'm just going to keep going back. It's an empty stadium. Anything can happen. The Cats come out on top of this one because Baylor is falling apart down the stretch, the home stretch of the season. Baylor goes down. Bearcats are in the final four, baby. Unbelievable. For the first time in nearly 30 years, the Bearcats have made the final four in John Brandon's first season. It can't get any more magical than this. Who do we play in the final four, huh? But can it? (laughs) All right, now we go to West. We go to Los Angeles, baby. We go to the home of Mick Cronin, where the selection committee was once again not kind to Mr. Cronin because they sent him east to New York. Ouch. (laughs) Tough break for Mick, but a a great run at the end of the season, a really unfortunate loss against USC, who did ultimately... Uh, go down to the Bearcats, or, or they, they potentially did. I'm not sure we decided a winner on that USC versus Creighton game. Um, but do you see, who who did the Bearcats end up matching up against in the Final Four? So on that side, we're looking at teams ranging from San Diego State, Gonzaga, we got Michigan, we got BYU, you know, we got Seton Hall. I'm going to take San Diego State all the way to the final four. That's who the Cats are matching up. This is the year of the mid-major, ladies and gentlemen. That is what is going to happen. This will be guaranteed two teams from mid-major conferences going in to take this championship down. Wow. San Diego State in the final four. This is truly the most magical season in recent Bearcats history. And by recent, I mean since 1962. The Bearcats are going to the finals. There's no way John Brandon goes down to San Diego State, a team that doesn't present the types of challenges that Baylor does. So once we pulled off that upset, it's home It's home sailing at this point. It's smooth sailing. I'm sorry. The expression. I'm, I'm completely rattled. I can't believe that we're in the finals of the NCAA tournament. Who, who are we playing in the championship, huh? Oh, we're going to play this year's tournament, darling. We're going to play... This year's Gary Parish NCAA darling Dayton. Wow. For the matchup of the century. Local. A f- quick 45 minute drive from university to university. The teams that played each other in a secret scrimmage before the season, a result that we never got the uh, answer to. But we're going to get it now. We're going to get it in the finals of the NCAA tournament. What happens, Tom? Oh, this is easy. We will destroy the Flyers to remain the dominant team in the state of Ohio from a historical perspective. Cincinnati will want to win its third NCAA national title. Coomer, how are you feeling right now? I'm sobbing. I'm crying. I'm emotional. I'm taking my clothes off and I'm going to run through the streets of Clifton naked. Matt Norlander, you knew all along! <laughs> Victory! Bearcats are national champions.
unbelievable. A season for the ages. I guess John Brandon, he must make the jump to the NBA at this point. Not quite yet. He goes into the Hall of Fame. We're getting ready to rename the court. John Brandon Court. I have, no, we can't say that. Look, Ed Junker, the legend, he has two national titles under his belt. We cannot change the court from Ed Junker, but maybe it's the John Brandon hoop. <laughs> we, put, we put his name on the hoops. We built a statue. It's huge. But uh, we're looking through the bracket here. I'm missing something, aren't I? What don't I see? You know, I noticed the same thing, Hummer. Uh, I'm seeing that Xavier was excluded from Joe Lenardi's bracket. Ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> and Coomer, final Kem Palm standings. Bearcats, 44. Norwood, 45. Ah! <laughs> What a season, Hummer. What a season. One we'll remember forever. Folks, the Bearcats, you heard it here first. 2019-2020 NCAA champions. Congrats to everyone. Travis Steele is out a thousand bucks. (laughs) Hope that bar tab was worth it, buddy. No (laughs) tournament for you. You still fall one spot below Big Brother Cincinnati. You know, Hummer, that was extremely refreshing. It's it's not every day you get to see your team within a matter of minutes go on a run, a magical run, to become champion of the NCAA. Uh, it's something I'll never forget. But Hummer, I do think it's appropriate that we we kind of go into more of a kind of a recap of the season that was. This is certainly a season we'll never forget. It's obviously the first season this podcast existed, and there was no shortage of drama. That is. With 100% certainty, we finished the season as at 20 and 10. We mentioned it before, co-regular season conference champions. And since there's no level beyond that, we are as champion as champion can get officially this season. Uh, John Brandon's first season. Beforehand, before the season started, the two of us were speculating on records around uh, 24 and 6, 25 and 5, uh, 23 and 7. Obviously, we finished below that mark. We were projected to get a seed around 11, lower than Andy Katz' preseason prediction of 10, lower than our predictions in that 5 to 8 range uh, that we that we prognosticated on before the season. Do you consider John Brandon's first season at the helm a success? Yes. I mean, we can't say you know, what we were projecting and say, all right, this is this is what defines success, even though we did do that at the beginning of the season. We said making the NCAA tournament and making it to the second round or the, the second weekend with this team is what we would define success. But as the season goes, I think it's important that you step back and you have to reevaluate where this team was. And when you're talking about roller coasters of emotions, what we went through, you know, we're, we're going to specifically hit some of these things in order. But, I mean... So much stuff happened in the course of the season to dictate where we got to. We took losses to Bowling Green in the Paradise Jam. We took a loss to Colgate at home. We took a loss to Tulane on the road. Like if you're looking at these teams that these games that should not these should not have been losses, all of a sudden this team is complete. It's different. It's being talked about differently. We're now being talked about as a a ranked team 
without those three losses right at, right off the bat. We're getting higher seeds. We're getting those projections that we picked. It's just there was so much that went on through the course of the season. So let's get into some of these things that made this season a roller coaster. Let's let's just kind of run through it, and we'll talk about the events that we remember the most and maybe weren't the, the most discussion. So before the season even starts, and, and in fact, it came right before Bearcat Madness, there had been a lot of – it had been quiet on the front of uh, injuries, who's playing. We get noticed that Prince Toyambi – a player we predicted would have a pretty major impact on this team, especially in the front court. It was it was uh, announced that he would be having heart surgery. Specific details remained unknown, but it obviously kept him out for this entire season. We're not really sure what's going to happen with him in the future, but that was the first big news of this season. A few weeks later, Jaron Cumberland gets benched, the reason being a coach's decision. John Brandon was quite vague in terms of what that exactly meant. But at that point, you know, there is clearly some, some drama, some, uh, some conflict potentially between the head coach and the returning star player who was a preseason All-American and the returning American Athletic Conference Player of the Year. We then moved to the Paradise Jam, an absolute shit show, for lack of a better word, uh, from Flo Hoop's perspective. The broadcast was a disaster. You could barely watch the games. Fortunately, I heard Twitter. I heard, I heard someone on Twitter had a much better camera work than Flow Hoops. Uh, you're right. So fortunately, <laughs> since he slang and had a correspondent in St. Thomas for that tournament, Hummer, you did a great job broadcasting for fans everywhere. After that, we come back home. We you mentioned the loss to Colgate, and in, in the common theme with the losses to Colgate, to Bowling Green, to Tulane, Central Florida, these aren't blowout games. These these are games that came down to to the final seconds. And in the game against Colgate, it came down to, A, the referees not reviewing the three-point, alleged three-point shot of Colgate, giving them three free throws, which allowed them to uh, take, sorry, it allowed them to tie the game. And then B, Jaron Cumberland heaving a three-quarters court shot with five seconds left on the clock. One of the most inexplicable moments in Bearcats history Probably the worst shot in Bearcats history, Trevor you know, Moore. And, 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 and you know, before you, you move on, real quick, that seemed to be an also a theme that cropped up. I think throughout the season, the clock management at times was just awful at the most inopportune times, where we're we're letting shot cut, like we inbound the ball with three seconds, and we look like we're about to try and run a full play. Yeah, yeah, there's, you know, especially at the first half of the season, the non-conference schedule, there was a lot of questions about what was going on with this team in the closing minutes and seconds of games. We did not seem to understand how to close out games, even in wins. You know, Illinois State, Vermont, uh, not I'm sorry, not Vermont, but um, Valpo, Valparaiso, UNLV. These are games that should have been clear-cut wins. We had pretty commanding leads at different points in the game, yet. Every game was made out to be far too close, and it's why we got a couple losses that we shouldn't have, including Bowling Green and, and Colgate. After that, Hummer, off the court, Trevor Moore. He decides to transfer. He transfers to Morgan State. Best wishes to him. Jay Sarola quits, just quits the team. Goes off to Spain to play professional basketball. He has since been signed. Congratulations to him, but he's certainly not someone that will ever be thought of as a true Bearcat. Is it ironic that he's probably not getting paid right now because they're not playing professional basketball in Spain? <laughs> uh, who knows what's going on out in Spain? There's 
they have as many problems, if not more, as, than the America does right now with regard to COVID-19. Houston, Houston's Dejan Giroux, he bites Mamadou Diara and Keith Williams. However, this only warrants a one-game suspension per American athletic officials. Incredible. Uh, other major moments of the season were kind of just what, what contributed to the roller coaster aspect of the season. Jaron Cumberland dealing with injuries from day one. He apparently did not work out or train or practice at the level that he's accustomed to in the offseason. Came in a little bit out of shape. Came in with his skills not at the same level they were his junior year. And that was a, a rolling theme throughout the season. He did battle back. He did dominate conference play through that that away Wichita State game. However, after that, the foot injury uh, just was a little bit too much to see tip-top peak Jaron Cumberland throughout the season. And then lastly, Hummer, I'll make note, this team played seven overtime games this season. Seven. So let's look back and take all of those negative-sounding things that we just rattled off, and let's go back to the question we you just asked. Was Janet Br- Brandon, was Johnny Bucket's first season a success? Look, we won a share of the conference title. We ended up with the first a first round bye and a number one seed in the American Athletic Conference tournament. We, by process of elimination, get an automatic qualifying bid if there would have been a tournament being played. So yes, this is a this is a success from John Brandon. They battled through a ton of adversity to keep this team fighting in every single game except for one this year. Um, the only game that we really truly got blown out was Houston on the road. Uh, even that game against Memphis on the road, I would say that was a game that we were heading in the direction of getting back into had it not been for some uh, just like a, a bizarre two minutes uh, of play that even had the official or the the announcers discussing. Um, how bad I think Jay Bielis even made a comment on ESPN about how bad the, the officiating had been through that period of where, you know, so everything they went through. Yes. I would say John Brandon's first season was, was a success. We already know from our previous discussion that we went on to win the national championship. So how, what else could this be looked at as? I 100% agree. I think that it's easy to get caught up in what your preseason expectations are. Based on that, they clearly didn't meet how excited we were about this team and program. But I think it's more important to note that we were just wrong on a lot of things. There was a ton of preseason hype with regard to Chris McNeil. Clearly, he was not the level of offensive player as advertised before the season. There's also the fact that Jaron Cumberland had much more of an injury problem than we clearly understood before the season. I thought the way that we were able to persevere throughout this season was incredible. And honestly, Hummer, there's one big thing I left off that list. Unfortunately, John Brandon lost his father toward the end of this season. And it's not just when his father passed away, but he had to deal with, you know, his family member, one of his closest, you know, mentors of his life, having major, major health problems. And I think that that not only has an impact on John Brandon, it has an impact on a team that clearly cares about him. He was able to still coach this team every single game this season unbelievable dedication to UC, to the, these players. Um, honestly, it's just, it's a remarkable level. It's a remarkable impact that John Brandon had year one. And I think it's easy to say that this first year was a rousing success. He was able to, to, to strike a balance between how he likes to coach basketball and what the talents were of this roster early in the season. It was driving us crazy that 
we we didn't seem to be coaching to the strengths of these players, but that was clearly it was actually intentional to an extent with regard to John Brandon implementing this style of basketball. He wanted the players to play a different style. He wanted to see what the strengths were, what the weaknesses were, what can they do, what can't they do. And as he learned those strengths and weaknesses, he adjusted the style of play. He made the change to put the ball in Jaron Cumberland's hands, to make him a point guard. And to for most of the year, this was successful. First place, co-conference champions. You cannot deny that this was a successful first season. Yeah. I mean, hands down, successful season. You know, we are going to miss some things. I got really excited. I know we're, we're getting ready to get into favorite moments of the season. But some of the things that I'm going to miss not being able to see because it was so promising late on in the season, Trey Scott playing the low post with his athleticism and his ability to actually put the ball on the floor and make a move. I was really excited to see if Brandon was going to, you know, now that he was getting back into the groove and back into the swing of things, going to go out and run more of that because, man, Trey looked dangerous down there. His post moves were incredible. And watching a double team half, they were teams were going to have to start double teaming Trey Scott in the low post. And that was just going to leave out so much more opportunity for Keith Williams and Jaron Cumberland and Javen for wide open three point shots. And very upset that we didn't get to see that. But well, that was one of my favorite moments is watching watching him play that position. Yeah, and before we go to maybe specific moments, let's talk about some of the developments that we saw through this season that excite you. You know, like what we from start of the season to finish of the season, what's changed and what happened that maybe has you excited about the Bearcats moving forward? I'd like to kick it off. Just something thinking about it here. The player who improved most from game one to game 30, Mamadou Diara. The development we saw out of Mamadou at the start of the season could barely get minutes. He was the third big man in the rotation behind Chris Vogt, behind Jay Sarola. Come the end of the season, Mamadou Diara is our number one option as a center. Our team was playing its best basketball offensively and defensively with him on the court. He had more confidence. He was blocking shots. His athleticism was actually effective on the court. And not only that, he was knocking down three-point shots consistently, so much so that the crowd was uncomfortable when he actually passed up shots. Incredible development, and something that if we can carry on that momentum into the following season, that's going to be a big damn deal for the Bearcats. I, I got chills you know, thinking about that because you, you're 100% right. Earlier on when Mamadou got into the game, you're like, oh, Lord, what's the first mistake he's going to make? Because it almost seemed like he'd get on the court. He was a little too, almost too fast, too much energy, if there is such a thing, to where he either wasn't in the right position on defense or he extended himself too far out on the perimeter and guarding a, guarding someone who didn't need to be guarded you know, 50 feet from the hoop. Uh, but as as the season went on, he definitely, he definitely settled down. Uh, and not to throw shade, because we know Trey actually did get the conference most improved player of the year. I think we're mostly focusing on, you know, what are we excited for for next season and moving forward now that, you know, we know we have some graduating players. So well, another and, and to be fair, Hummer, Trey's award was more about where were you last year and where are you this year? Mamadou's growth was literally within the season. He showed yeah. up this season, not the player he was at game 30. Like this... This happened within one basketball season. It's incredible. And I hope that has to do with just more time and more tutelage from John Brandon. 
He made Mamadou more comfortable on the court. He put him in positions to succeed. And I think that unlocks some really important strategy ability, you know, game strategy things for the Bearcats in the future years. Yeah. So the other things that I would point out that I'm getting excited about, even though we didn't see, we saw one of these players more than the other, but I got excited about watching the three freshmen playing at the same time. I love seeing Zach Harvey, Jeremy, uh, Jeremiah Davenport and, and, uh, Shuey on the court at the same time. Micah Adams I'm really, Woods. Yeah. Micah Adams Woods. I'm, I'm really excited to see what those three are going to be able to contribute in the coming years. I'm really excited to see Zach Harvey now that he seems to later in the season. He kind of took a little bit of a leap there too, where he was able to keep the ball in front of him on defense better. He was he was not afraid to take the shots when he had them. He was knocking down some some big time shots when we needed them. And I'm really excited to see what what those three are going to be able to do in conjunction with what we also have coming in in terms of a, a really good freshman class. Yeah, that season for Zach Harvey, it was extremely up and down. You know, it started, he seemed to just be a little bit overwhelmed. The game at the college level was moving too fast for him. But he did figure things out. I think he got healthier. He also got to a point where he was more confident on the court to take a few dribbles, to try and make plays for others, to try and finish at the rim a little better. He was able to do all of those things. That said, he had some some bad games at the end of the season too. But what excites me, and I'm sure what excites you, is the raw talent, the athleticism, the abilities, the raw skills are there. And I think a, a year, an offseason under more Brandon coaching, under the weight program, um, he's going to come back as a major contributor for the Bearcats his sophomore year. And the other two freshmen is, of course, Jeremiah Davenport, the ultimate energy guy, you know, a player that just has more confidence than anybody else on this roster, which is shocking given that Jaron Cumberland is on this team. And then Micah, he he won the starting point guard role with his play. As a freshman, came in, not too much hype, was able to just be extremely solid for the Bearcats, made critical shots game after game, was a guy who you could rely on to knock down free throws late in a game. I love this. Those three freshmen were big-time contributors in one way or another, each in their own way, each in different games. And it's something that we can build on in the future. So the other thing that it's it's frustrating to say, this player to me is frustrating. He's He can be exciting, but mainly in the end of the season, he's been frustrating. Chris Vogt was a huge surprise early on in the season. He was almost become like the leading scorer on the team. He was the glue that was holding us together. Uh, right up until, I want to say, four or five games into the conference season, we may have been talking, I may have been talking about, well, is this a guy who could win conference player of the year? Obviously turned out to be a very, very bad hot take uh, because his, his play decreased as we go on. But that is something that I want to see Chris vote build on for next season, because John Brandon, we know is very high on Chris vote. He wants, we all want Chris vote to succeed and he's going to be, be a player that we're going to need to see take a big step forward on the defensive end, on the on the crashing the boards. We're going to need him to be a rebounding machine, especially when we're seeing a guy like Trey Scott leaving. So I'm very excited to be able to see what he's going to bring to the table in another offseason under John Brandon. I love that you brought that up. Um, Chris Vogt, it's so easy to get caught up, and I, I'm guilty of this. It's so easy to get caught up in what someone can't do. And... If you, if you look at the season as a 30-game sample size, Chris Vogt was really good and really positive for the Bearcats in about 20 of those games. Toward the end of the season, 
be it fatigue, be it scouting from other coaches, be it the strategy. Chris Vogt did struggle. He struggled on defensive rebounding. He struggled to finish the ball toward the end of the season. He struggled to kind of get in the flow of the offense. But you're making a great point. It's not time to write him off. There's another offseason. There's another year of development coming. And he is so big. And honestly, he has such good touch around the rim that it's it's important to know that he's not done developing. He can improve. He can go to another level next season. And that big man rotation, that center rotation of, of Chris Vogt and Mamadou Diara, two very different players, it's a nice one-two punch to have going into next season. Hummer, the, Absolutely. I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but I think it has, it has implications for Keith Williams. I think the style of basketball, this small ball style of basketball that John Brannon unlocked at the end of the season with Mamadou Diara at the center position, I think that's going to carry over into the following season when where we lose a guy like Trey Scott, we're inserting a talented freshman of Tari Eason. And when you have Tari, Trey, I'm sorry, when you have Tari, Mamadou, Keith, Micah, and another wing on the on the court, let's say Zach Harvey in this case, you know, there's a lot of unknowns in that sense, but we can spread the entire court out and Keith Williams can beat his man, unlike most players in the American Athletic Conference. He got snubbed. He was not recognized on the first, second, or third team in this conference. But his ability and his assertiveness that we saw specifically in that South Florida game, if we can get that Keith Williams more consistently and we can unlock that style of play, that could be a huge deal next season. Absolutely. I mean, well, Keith Williams is going to be the centerpiece. I mean, he is going to be the guy next year that we're going to look to 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 be the guy who can take over a game or have to take over a game. And this is all based off what we've seen this season, but who knows now that we're going to have a full offseason of John Brandon implementing his system with, at this point, the majority of the guys on this team are going to be guys that he recruited too. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be losing a lot of the Cronin era defensive long lanky type of players for players with in, I don't know if this is the right word, but maybe better basketball IQ, better shooters, you know, we're we're not necessarily going to be looking for grinded out defensive players to stretch the floor. We're looking for guys that can move, who have quickness, who can get and can put a shot up. Yeah, it's uh that's a big deal for next season. Um, you know, John Brandon had to toe the line of his system versus talent of the current roster, and because of that, I thought we saw a much more Jaron ball dominant Jaron Cumberland late in the season. That seemed to be a sort of acquiescence from John Brandon. Next season, I think uh, it's going to be much more of what we saw against South Florida. It's going to be more of a democracy on the court. The ball's not going to be, it's not going to, you're not going to see a usage rate near 30% from any of the players next season. I highly doubt we see Keith Williams with that type of usage, frankly, because he's not the decision maker with the ball that Jaron Cumberland is. So because of that, you're going to rely more on uh, all five players moving without the ball, much more cutting, much more. Um, rotating it around the perimeter to create an open shot for a teammate. It's going to be fun to watch, but there's also a lot more unknowns because we do have less, you know, developed talent. This is going to be a younger team, more freshmen, more sophomores, not as many players you've leaned on in the past to get, to get you buckets like Jaron Cumberland or to, to provide you the leadership that Trey Scott did. So that's going to be very interesting to watch. Uh, in my opinion, it makes it a little bit, uh, more fun in some sense, right? This season was full of expectations and we had to get to the tournament. If we didn't get there, it would be a disappointment. 
And because of that, it puts all sorts of pressure on, on, uh, on players, on coaches, and, and that can be less fun for everyone involved. When you have a team that doesn't have the same high expectations but does have the talent and the guys who are willing to buy in and the coach who can implement a system that, that generates exciting offense, that's going to be really fun for the Bearcats fan base. Yeah, and and something I I would I would implore Bearcat fans to keep in mind that this is a different system we're implementing. This next year could be a year that is challenging from a win-loss perspective. I think that's going to be an entertaining team to watch, but I think we could see some challenges from the win-loss perspective simply because we are going to be so young where and I'm going to make this comparison because I know it's going to happen with our fan base. I know this is going to happen. People are going to look at Mick Cronin and say, well, look what Mick Cronin did. He didn't have to rebuild at UCLA. Well, Mick Cronin brought low-scoring games to the Pac-12. Congratulations. He's making, he's making his players play incredible defense and, once again, not score the ball. So I'm, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking forward to John Brandon implementing a system, getting his guys in there, developing his guys, and playing a more exciting up-tempo, faster pace of basketball, a type of basketball that is more likely to win championships. Because when we had Matt Norlander on, he made the point of, well, Virginia won one with, with that style. Great. They also lost to a 16 seed in the first round the year before. Like, that style of basketball is not pr- consistently producing national championships. It's... It's a great conversation. I think there's different ways to skin a cat. I think that John Brandon can do it his way, and it's a completely unique experience to what Mick Cronin had here at Cincinnati. Um, He's going to do well at UCLA. I I suspect he's going to get a lot of wins. We saw it this year. He's already, he was the Pac-12 coach of the year. I don't think we need to dwell on or linger on what Mick Cronin's doing out in the Pac-12 because he chose to take that opportunity. That was a decision he made to leave this university. Well, I'm, just, really I'm, no just saying fans, I'm just telling fans, you know, like, don't 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 view that as something to compare it to because it's it's a different style that he runs a basketball that frankly is easier for less talented players to pick up. It's easier to play that style for for him to teach that style. Where Brandon, I think, is bringing a more complicated style of offense, a more complicated style of play that is going to benefit us more in the long run in terms of being competitive and winning and getting to where we want. In future tournaments, I'm only cautioning you to pump the brakes on preemptively protecting John Brandon from the comparisons to Mick Cronin. John Brandon can protect <laughs> himself by winning games and playing really good basketball with the Bearcats. That's all it takes. You hey, know, we're I'm not going to be hung up on next Mick- year. I think next year is going to be a challenging year because of our 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 youth. You know, we're going to have to have a lot of young guys step up. I know we're saying what we're looking forward to, and I'm really looking forward to watching guys like Mike Saunders Jr., Gabe Mason, Mason Matson. Uh, or sorry, Gabe Madsen and Mason Madsen, <laughs> Gabe Mason, <laughs> uh, and Tari Eason. I'm really looking forward to these guys coming in, and they're going to be a great class, but let's remember they are freshmen, and these aren't freshmen who are being touted as first-round NBA lottery picks. These are freshmen that are going to need to be developed. I don't know. If you listen to our Tari Eason podcast, there's some uh, there's some touting happening on that podcast. There's some touting, but he's not coming out and saying, hey, Tari Eason's a number one, uh, a first round draft pick sure. immediately next year. Right. I there's will going say, to be, there's some development. Don't let youth confuse you with not being able to compete because we just saw Houston, a really young team. They have some really pivotal and crucial, uh, experienced players on that team. But the stars of that show were young players. 
And the same can be said for John Brandon. So his chat, it's a challenge. We're going to need him. We're going to need yeah. those young players if we are going to have success in the win column. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. And it could be challenging if we don't have that. I know. Well, this is their first podcast, though, since the season ended. I just think, you know, there's no reason to protect John Brandon from the comparisons. Let people make them. It's a very different style of coaching, style of basketball. And I personally am enjoying it. But Mick Cronin's doing a hell of a lot of of good out in UCLA. The way John Brandon doesn't have to worry about that stuff, win games, play really good basketball, and the rest take care, the rest takes care of itself. Well, not that this is not the end. We're still we still got some more stuff to talk about. But I love way too early season predictions. <laughs> we just won a national championship. We are defending national champions. Bearcats bring in this great recruiting class. I think we had a, a an overall good recruiting class in Brandon's first year uh, as a head coach with us. Yeah, are, it was. Are we, winning, it, are we are we sharing another title? Are we winning another regular season title? It's. I, I'm not going to rule it out. I think we got to see how all the pieces unfold. Right. I don't think we're done filling out who's coming to play for the Bearcats in the 2021 season. I definitely think a grad transfer is in play. Maybe two. And um, it just all depends on how how the cookie crumbles. Is, Pr- is Prince Toyambi playing basketball next season? How does Mamadou Diara continue to develop? How is Chris Vogt coming back? Is Keith Williams making a leap? You know, I think that's, if there's one disappointing thing from this season, it's that typically, historically in, with Bearcats, our seniors, our four-year dominant players, take a leap their senior season. Jaron Cumberland did not take that leap. And I would say you could attribute a lot of it to his injuries. I also think a coaching change is quite disruptive. It's not something you saw for Steve Logan, Kenyon, Sean Kilpatrick. There was much more stability with those Bearcat legends. Uh, That said, he didn't take that transcendent leap that you need your senior season to have that truly special, you know, dominant, memorable season. And and it's unfortunate he didn't have it, um, but it's something that Keith Williams has the opportunity to do. He's not going to have as much turmoil. Hopefully he has the health. And if he takes a special leap, it changes the dynamics and the uh, potential outcomes for this team. And those are all unknowns, but it's just something to to keep an eye on and, and get excited about for future season. Sorry, for next season. Hey, you know, I'm sure this will not be the first time we talk. Last time we talk about unknowns because we did that this we did that at the beginning of this season. But look. Either way, the Bearcats are going to be good. We're going to be competitive. It's a matter of how competitive, how good we are, who steps up and whatnot. I'm excited for it. I'm personally even it's breaking my heart knowing that I'm not watching the true first round games in Dayton, the first four starting on Wednesday. So we got a long, long, long way to go before the next season. Uh, but let's end on a high note. Coomer, now that we've talked about the future – I feel like we haven't given enough attention to two of our our beloved seniors. One played for four years. The other played here uh, as a five-year redshirt player. They brought in a ton of great moments to this program. Let's talk about the play throughout the season of Jaron Cumberland, Trey Scott, and then let's end on some of our favorite moments from each of those players and what they brought this season. I, I... Thanks for doing that, Hum, because we we do need to not get too excited about talking about next season. We need to appreciate what we just kind of went through. And 
Certainly, Trey Scott and Jaron Cumberland are a big part of that. I'll start with Jaron because I think there's it's two very distinct experiences. Because oddly, I'm allowed to talk about Trey. <laughs> I know you're going to talk about Trey for us. It's two very distinct experiences between these two players. Jaron Cumberland is a player who came in as a freshman and instantly contributed to this team. What I'll always remember about him and his time with the Bearcats is never being afraid of a moment. His freshman season was full of big shots. You'll remember that performance against Xavier. Uh, He scored in double digits, finished at the rim with his classic freight train drives, knocked down three-pointers. He's been doing that since day one on campus. And that audacity, that confidence, that arrogance on the court is something I will always love and appreciate about his game. You know, it's... It's it's it epitomizes Bearcat basketball, the the attitude that he had on the court. He had disdain for his opponents. He he shrugged them off as as though they had no chance at guarding him and that it was disrespectful to even think that they could. I'm going to always appreciate that. Always remember that attitude on the court. Yeah. And one of the things I remember Jaron Cumberland as a freshman and to Jaron Cumberland as a senior I don't think he can have a before and after photo. I think he just always was just straight jacked. Right. Like, just looked like a, a player who's going to, wow, wow. And the first time he took a shot, I mean, his stroke is just pure. And he, he shoots it with so much confidence. I'm always going to remember Jaron Cumberland for just, it doesn't matter if you have a hand in your hand in his face or you're 20 feet away, he's pulling up and he's going to shoot right in your face and he's going to put it, put it in the basket. Yeah. That's what I'm going to remember him for. The offensive fouls could certainly be frustrating, but it was just as... Uh, mesmerizing to watch him just truck stick defenders who tried to get in his way on his drives. I mean, he's so powerful. You made the point of he's looked the same since freshman year. We haven't seen a before and after Jaron Cumberland photo from his time with the Bearcats. Dude's been yoked since day one. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how much room there was to make him stronger, to make him more explosive. Um, You know, if there was, it would have been nice to see. But that guy was an ultimate competitor, incredibly important to our team, even as a sophomore. You know, that devastating loss to Nevada in the NCAA tournament, we knew, and Mick Cronin knew too, that when Jaron Cumberland fouled out of that game, we were in serious trouble. That was him as a sophomore. He was a go-to, put-the-ball-in-his-hands guy from from his freshman year on, and we should all appreciate his contributions to this program. He did a hell of a lot of winning. I loved every minute of it. I'm I'm sorry that his that his senior year was full of these lingering injuries, but I appreciate how much effort and grit he showed battling through it all to lead us to another regular season championship. Yeah, looking and I'll, I'll don't want to run over all of his stats here, but Jaron Cumberland is basically a three year starter. He started starting games his sophomore year and started. For every game that he was healthy, he would have started almost every single game except for the one uh, coach's decision in his in his career. I mean, the guy was just unreal with how much he was able to get on the court. He averaged eight points as a freshman. He took a little bit of a jump his sophomore year to average 11 points. Then he goes on and he has that great conference player of the year. He's a conference player of the year. Let's not forget that conference player of the year, Jaron Cumberland, 18 point. Eight points a game his junior season guy is just absolutely unreal you know if if this season would have turned out different if this season would have been a repeat of last season we are actually having the conversation of retiring number 34 he was special he, he was a special performer for this university 
Mick Cronin did not love playing freshman. You had to really earn his trust. There was a few exceptions out there. You know, Gary Clark obviously was just a day one contributor. Gary Clark reminded me a little bit of Max Seal and that he just came in as a freshman, all about business and just, hey, coach, put me in the game. You can't afford to keep me off. Jaron Cumberland was the same way from the guard position. Mick Cronin could not keep this guy off the court, averaged 19 minutes a game that freshman year. And then after that, he never averaged less than 28 minutes a game for this team. Incredibly important and uh, a player that that deserves our praise and respect. He's a, he's an absolute bona fide Bearcat legend. 100%. Now, my man, number 13, Trey Scott, Trayvon Scott. Trey Scott. Woo! Trey Scott, Trey Scott, Trey Scott, Trey Scott. Trey Scott. Trey Scott is he averaged a double double. What else can you say about him? He averaged a double double this season. But he's a player where you look at his career, he was not that big of a, a contributing tr- contributor his freshman year. He was not that big of a contributor his sophomore year. His junior year is when he took that leap. He went from averaging three points a game to averaging nine nine points a game. He went from averaging 12 minutes a game and starting none to starting 35 games in a season to averaging 30 minutes a game. Huge leap his junior year. I was expecting a huge leap this year, and I think we got it. I may not have won the bet that Trey Scott would <laughs> average more points than Keith Williams, but it was closer than what you were expecting, and I know you were you were sitting a little nervous if we would have had six more games to play this season uh, of what he could do in the tournament because – the guy was unreal. He was crashing boards. He was bringing energy. He was playing defense. In his low post play, I, he had some beautiful moves down in the low post late in the season, being able to put the ball on the floor, fake left, go right, lay the ball up into the hoop. He, he was hitting shots from the outside. I mean, what wasn't this guy doing late in the season? That was just, it was incredible. Well, if he didn't get off to such a slow start offensively, he didn't seem to have a role early in the season offensively. He was just kind of the fill-in guy. And I think if that didn't happen, if they knew what his role was role was on this team to start the season, I'm running the beer mile. And I'm fortunate that Keith Williams seemed to have a, a better comfort level on offense to start the season because Trey at the end of the season was just a bona fide star. You could throw it to him in the post like you mentioned. He started finally knocking down that three-point shot again. But the leap he took on defense this year, it just – who was making the prediction that Trey Scott – would be the defensive player of the year in the American Athletic Conference before this season. He has never been a guy who blocks shots with consistency, yet this year up to 0.8 per game, which is is a pretty significant jump from what he was doing in the past. His steals, a steal and a half per game. And then we know about the positional defense, the energy, the help defense, and clearly the most important thing, defensive rebounding. If it weren't for Trey Scott, we were going to be giving up 25 25- offensive rebounds per game he took an incredible jump John Brandon set out the goal for him this season to be a double digit per game rebounder and he abided unbelievable transformation and jump his senior season you mentioned that Jaron Cumberland take the snapshot freshman year and senior year looks like the same guy maybe just more tattoos Trey Scott that's a guy who put in serious work in the weight room because he did not come in as a finished product physically he was not an athletic specimen Look at him his senior year. Doris Burke is fawning over that man. Really, just in a physical transformation, a guy who clearly worked on his craft from day one to now. 
And uh, honestly, he he really he took his name as a Bearcat as a Bearcat to a completely different level, one that we would have not have not have expected before the season. He went from nowhere near anybody saying the word NBA around Trey Scott to having national writers calling him an NBA prospect. That's yeah. huge. They're not saying he's going to be drafted first round, but they're saying he has potential to be an NBA player is what you had people coming out and saying, and that's that's huge. Well, if we have a summer league, hopefully, <laughs> he's going to be invited yeah. to summer league. He's the kind of guy who's now in, in the same vein of like a Troy Copain who's going to kind of be on the fringe of the NBA and maybe even better. He'll be invited to camps. He has the size, the ranginess, the athleticism to potentially defend some of the bigger wings in the in the game. You know, I don't know if it's going to work out in the NBA or not, but he would have never been in that conversation last year. He worked his way into that position through physical dedication, through fitness, but most importantly through his game. And uh, it's it's exciting to see a guy who wasn't on the radar to being one of these, you know, all-time memorable Bearcats, and he did it. His leadership, his game, his 2020 against Memphis, he did it through just grit, awesome leadership, performances. Everything. Leadership. His leadership was special. Telling, telling guys to go up straight in the air. How many times did we see him walk up to a Chris Boat and just throw it and say, hey, hands up, hands straight, you know, trying to get keep guys from getting into foul trouble. And frankly, I thought we did a pretty good job this year of keeping out of foul trouble. I'm not saying he's the only reason why, but he always had that like presence of mind to be a leader on the court. And he always brought the energy, always. So he will he will be forever one of my my favorite Bearcats. There's a lot of I think wearing the number thirteen as a Bearcat. I know some people were saying out there to retire number thirteen. No, because re- you don't retire number thirteen for re- for for a few reasons. That is the number that if you're going to take it on that number and you're going to wear it, you're going to have to play it with the heart of every single player who wore it before you. And there's a lot of great Bearcats who wore that number thirteen before Trey Scott. Trey Scott is the latest great Bearcat to wear number 13. We're going to have a new one next year. If I'm not mistaken, isn't that going to be Tari Eason's number? Uh, I would expect it to be. It's his number in high school, and I believe he rides with that number. So next season, we're going to carry on with another 13, and he's got a lot to live up to. But I think he's got the motor, the energy, the intensity to carry it on. And and uh, Trey Scott, Jaron Cumberland, thank you for everything you've done as Cincinnati Bearcats. Hummer, let's close this podcast by talking about our one favorite moment from this season. Go ahead. I'm going to cheat because I'm going to give you two. Give it to me. I'm going to give you the first one. Beating Memphis on our home court on the back of Trayvon Scott's 2020 game. No surprise there. One of my all-time favorite moments. No surprise, especially the way they lost that when when we watched them lose to Memphis at Memphis, we we came out and we said that we are going to beat these guys on our home court. There was no doubt in our mind we were going to beat Memphis on our home court. Trayvon Scott took that upon himself to make us not look like jackasses, and we beat them <laughs> at home on our court. Yeah, it was definitely not as easy as I maybe expected. John Brandon complimented Penny Hardaway after the game for completely changing their strategy, but another one of those... Down eight, only a few minutes left in the game. Battle back. That's the game Keith Williams dunked on two Memphis players toward the end of regulation to tie the game. Um, yeah, I Jeremiah love that. Jeremiah Davenport did the same thing. The Precious, he, he came right back at him. Yeah, uh, great game. That was a, an all-time game. So, what was your second moment? Well, before I cheat, 
let me give me give me your favorite moment because I I know mine's gonna be a great one to end on. Okay. Well, my favorite moment of the season was in all honesty, probably Jaron Cumberland's last dominant game of the season. You know, maybe if we count that Temple game, the 21-7-7, that maybe actually was his last dominant game of the season. But his and one finish at the end of regulation to beat Wichita State at Wichita State was was my favorite moment of the season. You know, it, it encapsulated everything I loved about Jaron Cumberland, never afraid of the moment, took the ball in his hands with the game on the line, finished through contact, won the game for us, just perfectly captured everything I loved about Jaron Cumberland, and that's my moment of the season. All right, so my last one, you've already mentioned the game. It's Temple. Temple comes down, makes a huge three-point shot to go up by one. We put the ball into the hands of Jaron Cumberland, and he takes it straight to the hole. Now he misses the shot, but then who comes in? His partner in crime, Trey Scott, with the putback for the win. That Being in that arena, watching the energy of the crowd take over that game and, and help to propel those two seniors to the, the last victory of their careers. Those guys got to go out, maybe not in the NCAA tournament, but they certainly ended the season with a bang. Love it. And we got we were there to witness it. Just a, it, That was an epic moment. And it will be the final memory we have of the 2019-2020 Cincinnati Bearcats. And I'm glad that it was in the hands of Jaron Cumberland and Trey Scott winning one last game for this program. Kudos to them. So, it's that time. One quick uh, side note, Hummer, before we get heckled online. It actually wasn't a 20-20 and 20 game for Trey Scott against Memphis. It was 25-19. and 19. So, uh, for all we you uh, stat correctors out there, 25-19. and 19. Close enough. Yeah, we just wanted to, you know, make it look better. But... Still, great game, but it is that time. Well, before you dedicate it, Hummer, let's just say thank you to everybody who listened in our inaugural season. Season one of the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast is officially concluding. Uh, We've talked about the Bearcats from before the season until now. Certainly not the ending we expected. Nobody saw this coming except uh, Dr. Hummer a few weeks ago. And uh, just want to say thank you to everybody who spent some time listening to us, shared the podcast, We really had a fun time doing it. Next season, we'll definitely do some experimenting with some new things. Uh, We'll we'll potentially pick up football. Give that a try. We watch all the games. We follow the team. Um, It hasn't been something that we did as much talking about last season. But, hey, it could be fun to talk about Luke Fickle, big thick energy in the uh, squad next season. (laughs) Big thick. That rhymes with something else. (laughs) They love to say that here in Philly. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited to I'm excited to see what the football team's going to bring this year. I'm glad that we're going to pick that up and start discussing that a little bit. Not sure what's going to do. We'll experiment a little bit with it. But yes, if you have any suggestions out there, hit us up on Twitter, shoot us an email. Uh, you know, we're open to anything and everything about what we can do to make football entertaining for everybody. But with that, this is going to conclude the 2020 season uh, prematurely. But appropriately, it is now time to dedicate this season to former Bearcats. Who are we dedicating it to, Hummer? Trayvon Scott and...
Jaron Cumberland. It's only appropriate. They are now former Bearcat basketball players. We have loved watching them play over the last four years, and I'm excited to see where where their careers might take them, and I wish them all all the best. Cheers to Trey and Jaron. Cheers.